The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. friends and neighbors, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod in this first full week of the new Biden administration. It is indeed the beginning of a new era in America, not just because Biden's our 46th president, but because Democrats not only won the White House, they held on to control of the House of Representatives, although barely, and thanks to winning two runoff elections in Georgia, and with the help of Vice President Kamala Harris, Democrats also now have control of the U.S. Senate, at least enough to make Chuck Schumer majority leader and Mitch McConnell, oh, happy day, minority leader. But Democrats didn't just win the trifecta by accident. It was a result of a lot of good planning, hard work, and focused targeting by, above all, the Democratic National Committee, led by Chairman Tom Perez. We've talked with Tom Perez earlier on the Bill Press Pod, but before he rides off into the sunset and hands the baton over to the new DNC chair, Jamie Harrison, we wanted to catch up with Tom again and talk to him about how Democrats managed to win in 2020, and especially what Democrats must do to make even bigger gains in the House and the Senate in 2022. Mr. Chairman, it's good to catch up with you again. Good to see you. Oh, it's such an honor to be with you again. Uh, we've had many, many times together. And, uh, we've come a long way since we last spoke. Boy, we sure have. And certainly when you look at 2020, Tom, uh, for Democrats, it's hard to argue with the success winning the White House, uh, holding on to control of the House. And uh, when all the votes were counted and the, re- and the uh, runoffs were finished, winning uh, control of the United States Senate what worked? Well, this this is an outcomes business, Bill, and you're correct. I'm very proud of uh, the fact that uh, we have the White House didn't have that four years ago. We have the Senate didn't have that uh, four years ago, and we have the House didn't have that four years ago. In addition, four years ago, Bill, we had 15 Democratic governors. Now we have 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 24 Democratic attorneys general right now. Uh, we had, uh, I think, 17 Uh, four years ago. Uh, We flipped eight state legislative chambers. Uh, We broke supermajorities. You know, you talk to uh, Governor Cooper in North Carolina. When he won his race in 2016, he was dealing with Republican supermajorities. Right. uh, In both the House and the Senate. And in 2018, we broke the supermajority. So now he has more ability to govern. Uh, And what worked was uh, we really implemented uh, an every zip code strategy. Uh, We got in there, we organized early, we organized everywhere. We worked very closely with our state party partners. Uh, We worked very closely with the broader democratic ecosystem. I mean, you you look at the the last race, races, I should say, in (laughs) Georgia, and and that was all hands on deck. And obviously, Stacey Abrams and her organization, um, you know, the work that they did uh, didn't start November the 4th of 2020. I think the success that we had 
throughout this country was a, fa- a function of the fact that we really were intentional. And the we is not just the DNC. I'm proud of what we did. I mean, 8,000 8, um, uh, 8, uh, campaigns used our data and tech platform. Wow. Voter file. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we were, we had to rebuild our infrastructure bill and rebuild trust. And I think we've done both. And, and frankly, you were helpful in both uh, because, uh, Bill, you have credibility across, I think, the entire spectrum of the Democratic Party. When I came to the DNC, we were a wounded brand in the eyes of many. And the reforms we undertook, and I was on your you know, show back in the day oh, yeah. talking <laughs> right. about superdelegate reform. And so it's really a combination of um, making those major investments in organizing, uh, data and technology, communications, building partnerships so that we were truly part of a broad ecosystem where everybody had their oar in the water and they were rowing in synchrony. That's what was going on in Georgia post-November 4th into the run-up. I mean, we invested $20 million at the DNC in Georgia, and we were proud to be part of a broader ecosystem. We weren't the leaders. There were other leaders on the ground. Mm -hmm. We were proud to support those folks. You mentioned Stacey Abrams. I mean, her contribution in Georgia is just remarkable. Are there Stacey Abrams-type movements across the, the country and other states as well? I think it's been wonderful. I, I, let me give another example of uh, a state that excites me as much as any in the 2020 cycle, and that was Arizona. Oh, yeah. Uh, Arizona. So when I got to the DNC, well, we were doing a mapping exercise early on. You know, where is the potential? Just looking at the data, where was the potential? And you didn't need to be a PhD in analytics to take a look and see that Georgia and Arizona uh, were ripe. And we invested early in Arizona. Uh, in 2017, uh, we, uh, we started investing with the party and with others. And in 2018, we had... Uh, the election of Kirsten Cinema. We saw other down ballot races. We won the Secretary of State race there, which was a major uh, victory. And the the thing about Arizona, uh, and I really invite your listeners to take a close look at Arizona. The seeds of our success in Arizona were actually sown ten years earlier. Uh, ten years ago, I was at the Justice Department Civil Rights Division, um, and we prosecuted, investigated Joe Arpaio. Joe Arpaio mm-hmm. was an idiot sheriff. Joe Arpaio never deserved to wear a badge. But there were things going on in Arizona. Joe Arpaio was abusing his authority. There was a bill called SB 1070 that was a, a very, very virulent anti-immigration bill that passed Arizona. Went all the way to the Supreme Court. I was part of the team that took that case all the way to the Supreme Court. We won that case. Why am I bringing this up, Bill? There were so many activists back in 2010 who said, you know what, we're going to turn this moment into a movement. Mm-hmm. And you know what happened? The likes of my good friend Ruben Gallego, he was part of the activists who then said, I'm going to run for office. And he's now a remarkably rising star in the Democratic Party in the U.S. House. He is um, doing great things. Raquel Teran might not be um, uh, a name who's a recognizable figure. Just over the last few days, she was elected chair of the Arizona Democratic Party. Er uh, Raquel was part of the movement Mm -hmm. against Joe Arpaio. 
uh, and SB 1070. She's a member of the state legislature, uh, as well as now being the chair of the Arizona Democratic Party. I bring this up because as a result of these abuses, people stood up. They turned a moment into a movement. And you look at Arizona and you see that uh, there was a fusion coalition that powered both Joe Biden and Mark Kelly uh, to victory. And it, and it started with Latinos, but it wasn't. It didn't end with Latinos. It was Native Americans, African Americans, Mormons, mm-hmm. uh, um, McCain Republicans, white, non-white voters who came together. And the investments that were made over the course of time, and not just, I'm not just talking about the DNC bill. I'm talking about a host of entities who were registering voters in um, in the great state of Arizona. I think we are built to last. Arizona is officially purple. Mm-hmm. And um, it's purple because of years of hard work. Right. And George is purple, too. Well, you know, at the same time, with all the success, um, there are, to be honest, right, um, there were some disappointments, too. Uh, in the House, we thought we might pick up 15 seats. Instead, Democrats actually lost 13 seats. Uh, the Senate, uh, we thought we had a good shot in Maine and South Carolina, North Carolina, Montana, didn't get those states and only uh, have a tie now in the Senate, thanks to the runoffs in Georgia. Uh, so does that make you worried about 2022? Well, we, uh, we, I mean, I'm proud of what we did, but I'm also, I agree with you, we didn't win all the races we wanted to win. Um, we won the biggest one in the White House, and we, we, we still have the House and we have the Senate. That's huge. But here's, I think, the challenges that lie ahead. And, and we saw this in, in 2020. We, we've defeated Trump, but we haven't defeated Trumpism. Mm-hmm. And you look, I think you have to separate the Senate and the House here to, to conduct this analysis. Uh, when you have a wave election, uh, and now I'm talking about House uh, waves, what tends to happen two years later, because uh, if you have that midterm wave, then you go into a presidential, those races that you won that brought you a wave, you won those in pretty red districts. So for instance, we, we won a seat in Oklahoma in 2018. That was a Trump plus uh, 12 or 14 district, and we had a great, great candidate. Um, same thing in New Mexico, the first congressional district, Sochi Torres Small. Uh, we had uh, in her a great candidate, but that's a Trump plus double digit um, uh, district. And so you then fast forward to 2020. Donald Trump, his voters turned out. <laughs> I mean, yep. um, and so when that happens, you're bound to have that um, that sort of um, challenge. And, and Bill, by the way, when we won, um, you know, we, we've seen the same thing with Democrats, or I mean, with Republicans, you know, where the 2010 wave in the House for Republicans, same thing happened in 2012. We were able to win some of those, uh, mm-hmm. some of those seats back, and then in the Senate, I think there's a there's a uh, different, and it's a troubling trend, which is that the party that the the party that wins the presidential races now. It, it increasingly that is uh, percolating down to Senate races, or to put it differently, there are you know it, back in the day you, you know Joe Donnelly could win uh, Indiana, Claire McAskill could win 
uh, Missouri, um, Heidi Heitkamp could win in North Dakota. And then you saw in 2018, those were heavily red Trump states mm -hmm. and they were unable to win. Now there's a couple unicorns that we're seeing at the moment. Um, we saw a unicorn in my good friend, your good friend, Sherrod Brown. He was able to win in Ohio in right. 2018. And it turns out that Susan Collins on the Republican side appears to be a unicorn of sorts because uh, Joe Biden won Maine and she was able to uh, uh, win her reelection. But the reality is in the Senate, you know, I mean, Steve Bullock's a good example, great candidate. Um, he's demonstrated the capacity to win in um, in a red state, but it didn't work in 2020 in no small measure because um, we're, we're in this moment in time of, of tribalism of sorts. And and the, the, the last point I'll make on this um, bill, which is really important, is if you look at the megatrends across this country, uh, by like 2035, 70% of the population in the United States is going to live in 15 states. Or to put it differently, wow, 70% um, of the U.S. Senate mm -hmm. is going to be elected by 30% of the population. And those uh, states tend to skew white and more rural. Uh, that gets me back to my original point in this conversation. I said we became an every... Uh, zip code party. We have to continue organizing in Georgia. We have to continue and go back to Alabama and Mississippi. We can win Alabama and Mississippi if we have sustained engagement of black voters in those states. Doug Jones showed that, and I am confident we can do that. We cannot give up on these states. We must continue to organize there or else our high watermark in the Senate is going to be 51 to 52, given mm -hmm. those megatrends that I've described. That's why I'm really proud of the fact that we really are a, a 57 state uh, and territory uh, party. And I hope in the near future we're going to have Puerto Rico and we're going to have the District <laughs> of Columbia. But until then, you know, we've got to keep, um, we've got to understand these megatrends and we've got to understand the power. We, we can win in these places that um, people said we couldn't. So looking at 2022 and uh, or looking at the next uh, uh, opportunity we have, there were 139 members of the House and eight members of the Senate who voted on January 6th, the evening after the Capitol had been ravaged and stormed by this Trump mob, 139 House members and eight senators still voted to overturn uh, the electoral vote in two states. Is there any focus campaign to target those members? Uh, if they're, Let's say they're not thrown out, expelled from Congress, which I think they ought to be, but they probably won't be. Is there any focus campaign to, we know who they are, we know their districts, to go after every one of them? Well, I'll tell you, um, here's the challenge with that. And there should be. I mean, that, that, that was an insurrection. When you turn the Capitol into a crime scene, um, and, and I don't know if you've read recently, one, one of the many ramifications of this is that there are a lot of uh, Capitol Police officers now who've contracted COVID. That was a oh, yeah. one of the things. It was a super spreader event. Members of Congress contracting uh, COVID because they were they were in rooms with their Republican colleagues who were unmasked. Um, and so, you know, major challenges there. 
But the, your question really highlights a, a bigger point, which is um, a real challenge in our democracy. I, I think the two biggest forces that have brought democracy, two of the biggest forces that have brought democracy to its knees are Citizens United and gerrymandering, whether it's partisan gerrymandering or uh, racial gerrymandering. And, and the challenge, Bill, in a lot of those districts that you're referring to is that they've been so, so gerrymandered that the um, it, it's next to impossible. What, what they did was what their constituents wanted because they've drank the Kool-Aid. They've, they've bought into this absolutely bogus narrative about, um, uh, about elections and uh, how it was stolen. Republicans should be celebrating record turnout. I mean, to get back to your earlier question, part oh, yeah. of why we lost down-ballot races is because Trump did turn out his people in a yeah. lot of these areas, but uh, that's not what they're celebrating. And so I think the challenge, Bill, and, and it really, what your question really gets at is until and unless we fix this issue of gerrymandering, and regrettably, this U.S. Supreme Court you know, gave a green light to it. And, and you watch what's going to happen. These state legislatures that have um, a complete control, that where you've got a Republican governor, Republican Senate, Republican House, you are going to see um, additional efforts to make it harder for people to vote. You know, the response to Joe Biden winning Georgia isn't going to be for them to say, hey, well, maybe we should give people health care. Or maybe we should raise wages. Mm. Um, or maybe we should fix the pandemic. No, their response is going to be, let's make it harder for our perceived opponents uh, to vote. Um, that's the challenge we have, Bill. And um, that's why Josh Hawley, and I'm glad that there's advocacy against him. He's too, he's smart. You know, he, he does have brain matter. And that's what makes him so insidious. Yeah, he should know. He does know better and, and, and should uh, do better. We're talking with former DNC chair Tom Perez. Uh, we don't know what Tom's going to be up to next, but we'll find out when we come back after a little break here on the Bill Press pod. Stay with us and uh, we will uh, resume our conversation. And today's podcast with uh, Chairman Tom Perez brought to you by the Teamsters Union, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, 1.4 million members strong, the biggest of America's labor unions and the most diverse. Uh, yes, truck drivers we know are Teamsters, but also vegetable workers in California, brewers in St. Louis, construction workers in Las Vegas, and zookeepers in Pennsylvania. Altogether, 1,900 Teamster affiliates across the United States, Canada, and Puerto Rico, all under the leadership of President James Hoffa. Check out their website at teamster.org. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. 
Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We're back with, uh, we'll still call him Chairman Tom Perez from the Democratic National Committee. Jamie Harrison's our new chair. Uh, Tom, I want to ask you about Joe Biden because uh, you got to give him credit, right? Eight million votes, uh, his margin in the White House, no matter what, what Donald Trump says. You and I saw each other a lot during the primary uh, uh, through many of the debates that we had. Um did you see at the time that Joe Biden would emerge as the right man for the uh, at the right hour with the right message? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I've known the vice president for a long time and had the privilege, now the president. Uh, yes. I've, I've known President Biden for a long time. And, and when I was on Team Obama, I uh, worked very, very closely with him, especially on our economic agenda. Whenever I needed a champion, for raising overtime wages or protecting workers, uh, protecting retirement security. Joe Biden was the first guy I'd turn to. Uh, and I, I think this is a moment in time where you know, we, we've tested the hypothesis, voters did over four years in 2016. Let's elect someone with no experience, no character, wants to blow up this uh, every institution of government, and let's see how that works. Well, you know what, it <laughs> works so hot. And um, people were craving uh, common decency, somebody who is going to actually look out for them. Uh, Donald Trump sold this snake oil to people that uh, I'm actually gonna look out for the forgotten people. The only people he looked out for was the Trump family and his cronies. And so I, when I watched the primaries emerge, um, it, it became, and, and you look at South Carolina, and then you look at uh, you know, Super Tuesday was three days after the South Carolina primary. And then there was, I think on the 15th or 16th of March, some really big primaries. Those were the last uh, big ones mm -hmm. there. There was Florida, it was Arizona, and uh, Illinois, I believe, was uh, it might have been Michigan on that day. And I mean, he ran the table and he ran the table because I really think voters understood that job one, we have to remove this person from office. Uh, Donald Trump is an unmitigated disaster and we need common decency, competence and courage in the White House. And that's what we got in Joe Biden. And, and, um, and what I'm really proud of, um, Bill, is that every single candidate, bar none, came together in a fully-throated way. They all told us they would. We asked every candidate to take a pledge to support mm -hmm. the winner. And they took that pledge with, um, without hesitation, 
and they lived that pledge. And, and I think that was so critically important. Um, I mean, if you look at the articles that were in the paper in January, my most frequently asked question in January was, tell me about brokered conventions. Yeah. And this right. campaign was effectively over um, the morning after Super Tuesday. And everyone came together. And I'm proud of what we did at the DNC because we didn't put our thumb on the scale. I had a lot of people angry at me with the superdelegate reform. You know, I had I had some people really, really angry with me after the Nevada primary, uh, Nevada caucus, I should say, uh, because, uh, you know, their candidate wasn't doing so hot. Mm -hmm. And so they thought, well, who do I got to look to blame someone? And they started blaming me. And I was like, no, we're putting the power. We gave the power to the people and the people spoke. And they said, Joe Biden needs to be our standard bearer at this moment in time. And I am really, um, I'm so excited for the Biden, for the president, because um, I do think that sometimes in life, a, a person meets a moment. And this is an example of that. Uh, Joe Biden is fundamentally, he's decent, he's competent, he's going to look out for people, and he's going to fight for us. Are, are you concerned that the party, there's been a lot of talk about this, that the Democratic Party could badly split with progressives not being happy with Joe Biden and then pushing him to go farther to the left, and he doesn't, and so therefore they kind of fracture the party? Well, I think actually, I mean, what's happening right now is you see the civil war in the Republican Party. I mean, there. did you see what happened recently in Arizona, where they censured Ducey and uh, Cindy McCain and others. I mean, they are Jeff forming, Flake. Uh, Jeff Flake. They're they're forming a circular firing squad every single day. And meanwhile, Democrats. I mean, you you've seen what's happened already. Um, you know, we're back in the Paris Accords. We're back in the World Health Organization. We have a fifteen dollar uh, an hour minimum wage requirement in federal contracting. Um, you've seen uh, all the action on um, the COVID pandemic. You know, we—it's a very bold 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus package that Democrats are fighting for. I, I think what I've been impressed with right now is we are—we are all united um, in carrying out a pretty bold. Uh, uh, agenda. And, uh, you know, you look at the platform of the Democratic Party, and, and everybody had a seat at the table. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden made sure that everybody had a seat at the table. And so I'm, I'm really impressed right now. We, we know that our margins are narrow. Um, we know that there are certain things that, you know, we might not get everything we want, but I've, I've been impressed so far with the discipline on uh, the Democratic side. And, and, um, and again, we've already seen progress on the executive action front. Now right. we get our cabinet secretaries confirmed. So well, uh, we might also point out that um, the Democratic Party at least did have a platform. The Republican Party <laughs> <laughs> had none, right? Uh, whatever Donald what we did before. <laughs> yeah, whatever Donald Trump wants, that's our pla that's yeah. our platform. Well, speaking of the Republican Party, not that you or I are uh, asked um, to advise them, but uh, you're right. They are badly fractured today, basically between those who want to stick with Trump and those who want to break with Trump. Which way do you think the party goes? I'm not sure anybody knows at this point. Uh, I'm, I'm profoundly um, disappointed in Ronna Romney McDaniel. Um, you know, her grandfather was actually a pretty heroic figure at times. Uh, and um, her, you know, and, and Mitt Romney, 
say, her uncle looks pretty good, right? These, uh, these oh, days, too. Right. I mean, um, on impeachment, I, I thought one of the most moving speeches on impeachment came from Mitt Romney. Um, I thought that uh, when, when they were talking about, uh, I don't know if you saw the floor speeches, the night of the 6th. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought Senator Romney was really compelling. Uh, and, and, and yet uh, they continue uh, to peddle in these falsehoods. And, and um, leadership is about uh, exerting certain fundamental truths. And, and facts matter. And, and it, it seems like I think things are going to get worse for the Republican Party before they get better. And, and let me say one more thing. Um, I want a vibrant two-party system. When I, when I worked for Ted Kennedy in the 90s, uh, he, he, he really instilled in us, if you want to get things done, you know, you've got to figure out ways to work across the aisle. And we were able to get things done. And he got things done with the likes of Orrin Hatch and, you know, folks who were pretty conservative. Um, and, and when we worked on immigration reform in the mid-90s, we didn't get everything we wanted. But I'll tell you, 90% of the amendments in the committees during immigration reform in, in the mid-90s were bipartisan uh, because that was the way of the world. Now they're sitting here trying to uh, slow down the confirmation of my good friend, Ali Mayorkas, who is superbly qualified to be the DHS secretary. He's been the deputy secretary. He's been uh, the head of USCIS. Th these Republicans, are, they are, they're, they're in the middle of a civil war and they've got to reclaim their own soul. And they've got to understand that they have been peddling lies to people and they are doing themselves a disservice in, when they continue to do that. So it's gonna get worse before it gets better. And the thing about it for us, Bill, and I, 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 I'll end with this, is um, what we have to do as Democrats right now is deliver results. You asked me about the 2022 election. I understand yeah. history. I think the way we succeed, notwithstanding the history you correctly point out, Bill, is to deliver results, to bring this pandemic under control, to make sure we lift this economy back up, to make sure we are protecting people's health care, doing things that people will tangibly feel the benefit of. The challenge with the ACA in 2010 is it was transformational, but nobody felt it at the 2010 midterm election. All they thought about was death panels and job killers because mm -hmm. the Republicans mounted such a you know aggressive misinformation campaign. What Joe Biden and the team are doing right now is delivering results on the issues that matter most. And when people see competence and normalcy return, and they see normalcy return to their life, I think that'll help us in 22. And I think we can get that done. Uh, final question on the Republican side. Do you think Donald Trump uh, might actually start a third party? I'd welcome that. <laughs> so let's let's go ahead. I mean, look 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 at um, look at what third parties did in '92 and '96. You know, I mean, right. uh, in terms of our presidential uh, uh, success, I mean, I, I think you know Bill Clinton could have won mano a mano, but it sure did help that uh, we had Ross Perot in there twice. So if yeah. you wanna. Uh, you you want to have that uh, tear it apart, uh, be my guest. Uh, tell us about um, Jamie Harrison, oh, the, Jamie new, Harrison. the new DNC chair. Most, most of our listeners, they know him as a Senate candidate from South Carolina, but he was also your 
deputy chair for a while at the DNC. Uh, no, no, he, throughout my tenure, da Jamie was a, a associate chair of the DNC. Jamie and I, frankly, we knew each other by reputation. We got to know each other very well four years ago uh, when we both ran for DNC chair. And uh, I... Uh, and and I just profoundly respected him, and and I was really honored. At the end of the campaign, Jamie um, uh, withdrew, and he supported my candidacy. I, I got to know Jamie. I, I have a, a I have an old saying: if you want to get to know someone, get to know their mother. I got to know Jamie's mother really well. <laughs> uh, Jamie's uh, life story is compelling. You know, raised by a single mom, um, you know, grew up dirt poor. Uh, in in South Carolina, uh, his mother is just a remarkable uh, person of uh, courage and accomplishment. Um, got a scholarship to Yale. Um, you know, he was not born on third base. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. so people. Uh, I've had the privilege of going to some of those schools, and you know, you meet people who are born on third base and thought they hit a triple. You know, Jamie has earned everything he's gotten in his life. Georgetown Law School, his, and his whole career has been a career of, of, of service and purpose. And I, I think he is an ideal person. He understands that we are far better off at the DNC now than we were four years ago. And that's because he helped contribute to that success. But he also understands that we now we've got to go from good to great. And there are more things we need to do. And I think as a Senate candidate, he has a unique perspective to offer on what we need to do. And, 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 and again, what we need to do is organize, organize, organize. I've said that. Jamie continues to say that. If we're organizing now, this year, Black voters in North Carolina, that's going to enhance our chances of winning that Senate seat in 2022. If we're organizing now in Pennsylvania, not just in Philly and Pittsburgh, but everywhere in between, that's how we're going to win that open Senate seat in 2022. Same thing um, up in Wisconsin. Ron Johnson does not deserve to be in the United States Senate. Jamie understands that the work we do now together with the great uh, state party of Wisconsin under the very able leadership of someone you know, Ben Wickler. Yep. Um, we do that work now. Uh, I think we can have that sustained success. This is what it's all about. Um, what I'm most proud of at the DNC is not only the victories that we've won, but we're built to last, Bill. We've got the infrastructure in place and we need to sustain it. And Jamie understands that. And I'm, I'm really excited to be passing the, uh, the torch to him. So in passing the torch, uh, Tom, you have been um, Senator Kennedy's staff, uh, the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department, Secretary of Labor under President Obama, and now DNC chair for the last four years. What's next for Tom Perez? Well, I'm uh, I'm going to relax a little bit. Um, <laughs> a couple of days. We, we'll, we'll give I you a couple of days. Yeah, we can too. I mean, I thought we were going to be able to relax a little bit after November fourth, uh, and we ended up, uh, you know, with the extended uh, situation in Georgia. So we were all hands on deck there. But I I'm very proud of what I've um, had the privilege of doing, and um, looking at a. Yeah, a number of things uh, moving forward. I, I live here in Maryland, um, and uh, I served in state government in Maryland under Martin O'Malley. I was a local elected official where I live in Montgomery County, Maryland. I, I love the great state of Maryland. Uh, and um, looking at things here, perhaps, uh, we have an open governor seat next year. 
Um, and uh, our, our, our current incumbent is uh, term limited. And so um, taking a look at that um, and we'll see um, we'll see what happens. Um, again, I'm, I'm really right now just trying to, um, I want to make sure that I have a, a very, very smooth transition to Jamie because I care deeply about sustaining our success. Um, and then uh, from there, I'll, I'll um, figure out what's next. But I've, you know, my, my, my parents taught me if you want to get to heaven, you got to have letters of reference from people living in the shadows. And um, I, uh, and they've, they're both deceased, and they never told me how many letters of reference. <laughs> so, uh, I'm trying to accumulate as many as possible, and, and the privileges and opportunities I've had in public service have been um, remarkably um, exhilarating and priceless and rewarding, and, uh, and so I'm going to figure out uh, what's the best way to continue that public service. Well, I just want to point out, uh, I don't have to remind you, that there is a precedent here. Um, Terry McAuliffe, former <laughs> chair of the DNC, uh, became governor of Virginia, served very well, now running again for governor of Virginia. So it would not be unusual for a, another former chair of the DNC to run for uh, governor in the great state of Maryland. Tom, let me put, put it this way. Whatever you do, you're a friend forever. You're welcome back on the Bill Press Pod forever. Uh, and we are deeply grateful to you for your leadership in the last four years and the success that you delivered for all of America. Well, so thank, thank you, Bill. Thank you. And uh, thank you for your lifetime of service, making sure we're together as a Democratic Party. We are a stronger, more united party because of you and your leadership and your nudging from the time. <laughs> we appreciate it. That's what we're here for, right? Thanks. Uh, absolutely. Thanks, Tom. So great to join you again. Always a pleasure. And that's it for today's podcast with Chairman Tom Perez. Uh, look at that. How about that? Maybe running for governor of Maryland. A little breaking news here on the Bill Press Pod today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for sticking with the Bill Press Pod and subscribing to the Bill Press Pod. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, pull up the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and you are in. Meanwhile, please remember COVID still with us. Stay safe. Wear your mask, wash your hands, practice your social distancing, take care of yourselves, and then come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.